Hello and welcome to the Not Just Any Cancer podcast with me, Catherine Bouvier. Good morning. Um, So today I'm speaking to Pete, um, who is working with us here at NC UK, but he is also a neuroendocrine cancer patient and um he's also a fantastic fundraiser too so he's been uh, he's been very busy this year but that wasn't always um something that I think he imagined he was going to be able to do um and I'm delighted that he's here with us today just to share his story which is quite remarkable probably some of his frustrations um and also what he's doing working with us just to try and make things a bit more equitable for for our community so good morning Pete. Well th- thank you thank you very much um, Kathy for giving me this uh, this chance to uh, to talk about my story and, and also hopefully to um, help you and uh, the rest of the neuroendocrine community to improve things for uh, for us all really. Um, yeah. Oh no it's great so, to have you on board and you know maybe you. just start with sharing a little bit about who you are Pete because I okay. know you but others don't. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, my name is uh, is uh, Pete Blomley. Um, I'm now uh, 64 years old. Um, I retired, well, nearly, well, just over two years ago now. I was formerly uh, a senior manager in the Ministry of Justice, working in uh, probation service commissioning. Um, so although I'm a, a stranger to the health world, um, although I'm on a steep learning curve, I'm beginning to learn a bit about NHS and uh, commissioning and the importance of NICE guidelines, which is something hopefully we'll get onto at some point during this conversation. Shall I just say a little bit about what happened to me in terms of? Yeah, I think so. I mean, your story um, has two very distinct parts, really, doesn't it? So, I mean, maybe take us back, you know. So, when, when were you diagnosed? Then when things started to go quite wrong for you, which they did quite dramatically, um, and really what happened from that point onwards, because it is, it's a story of quite, quite a distinct two halves, isn't it? Yeah, a game of two halves, as they say. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah. Um, Yeah, fortunately, the second half is better than the first half, you'll be pleased to hear. So uh, (laughs) we're very happy with that. (laughs) And forgive me if some of this becomes a little bit sort of uh, morbid, um, but that's the way it was, really. Um, well, um, for some years, I had bouts of uh, abdominal pain, which doctors really, never really kind of diagnosed. Then, during October 2020, I started to have what I now realise were episodes of hyperglycemia, um, dangerously low blood sugar levels, hypos, um, after I'd been out running. Um, I thought I was just getting old. Um, uh, but after various tests which ruled out diabetes, um, in December 2020, I was diagnosed with uh, a rare form of neuroendocrine cancer, namely malignant insulinoma. Uh, the hospital uh, found multiple tumours uh, already throughout my liver, um, which had spread from the primary, my pancreas. They reckon this has been going on for a couple of years, um, steadily growing away. Um, these tumours produce insulin, which causes the hyperglycemia. Uh, and of course, um, left untreated, the hypos can lead to coma uh, mm. and e- even death. Um, I was told my tumours could not be removed by surgery, 
because they were too extensive. Uh, and of course, there is currently no known cure for all this. As you can imagine, um, it's had a devastating effect on me and also my family. Um, up until then, I'd been a very fit and active. Um, as I said, recently retired. I was 62 then. Um, and I was looking forward to enjoying retirement, uh, including becoming a granddad for the first time. Mm. Um, life seemed great. And then we were hit with this bombshell. Um, I'd always been, been a runner um, and had recently become a keen cyclist. I was quite proud of the fact that I could still run um, five kilometres in under 25 minutes, which for someone... Yeah, that's something to be proud of, for sure. ...is, is not too bad. Um, but then things uh, declined very rapidly, really, and most of last year, 2021, was extremely challenging for me, um, physically and mentally. Um, I was virtually unable to do anything uh, due to my worsening hypo symptoms, uh, which dominated my life day and night, um, the effects of chemo treatment, and also three quite long stays in hospital during that time. And I think it's really important uh, for people, particularly those who are neuroendocrine patients, um, those involved in developing treatments, and also NICE, people who work for NICE in particular, to really understand that have and to have some sense of how challenging living with the biochemical or symptomatic effects of neuroendocrine cancer mm. really is. It's very and of easy course, not everyone has them, do they? But if you um, do, they can be hugely devastating and debilitating, which is, I think was so massive for you, wasn't it? it the was. the, the so change I, in your lifestyle. In, indeed. So I'm, I'm not just talking about, I mean, I'm, I'm, my case is an example. Other neuroendocrine patients will have other symptoms and syndromes, other biochemical things going on, which will probably equally, if not more, devastating. Uh, but for me, um, as soon as they discovered that there was something going on beyond diabetes, I was told not to drive and to give up all forms of strenuous activity, which at the time was devastating enough for me. Mm. Um, uh, I was given a, a freestyle Libra glucose monitoring system where I can simply scan my a sensor on my arm, which tells me where, where I'm at with my blood sugar levels as well as the finger pricking. Um, uh, but my, my, my blood glucose levels rapidly became more difficult to control. And despite following the best dietary and lifestyle advice, my condition deteriorated. Uh, for some months, I was having between three and five hypos every day and during the night. Uh, I was only able to walk for more than about five minutes or carry out even light activities even using the vacuum cleaner became a bit of a risky activity. Um, I spent about 90% of my waking hours um, just constantly thinking about my blood glucose levels, what I was eating, what I could do without risking a hypo. I was spending nearly all my time sitting down and eating uh, a low GI diet a little and often. I put on about three stones in weight in two months. So it's, it's really um, easy to talk about hypos without really appreciating just how frightening they are. Um, uh, fortunately, with only one exception, I've never actually passed out due to a hypo. Uh, but well, I have because been, you're monitoring so closely I, as I, well. Been, you know, you were yeah. on that, weren't you? Absolutely. I've been sort of vigilant in managing the risks. I know many other insulinoma patients have not been so lucky. Um, 
and, and also report suffering what sound like post-traumatic stress symptoms from it all. I've also been kind of fortunate in that I've always been hyper aware. I can feel it coming on. The warning signs for me are tiredness, feeling shaky. My thinking becomes muddles. I become even more irritable than I usually am. <laughs> um, I just want to sit down and eat something. My head, if it carries on, my head goes numb, uh, which is quite scary. I get cold sweats. I feel like I'm going to pass out. Now, I avoided passing out by just eating dextrose tablets and washing it down with apple juice. So I'd crunch it up and wash it down with apple juice, get it in my blood system as quickly as I could. I got through a lot of apple juice and a lot of dextrose. Um, I realised quite quickly it was actually impossible to really manage because insulinomas do their own thing in terms of how mm. much insulin they produce. And when they do it, regardless of what you're, what you're doing, mm -hmm. what you're eating and what your body needs, Another patient told me, always expect the unexpected, and he was right. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I put on all this weight. Um, in addition, my chemo meds, um, Everolimus, uh, cause severe mouth ulcers, which isn't great when you're having to eat all the time. Oh, that's not great anyway, you, is it? You know. I was also on diazoxide to raise my, my glucose levels, um, which did help with my levels, but it also caused quite severe abdominal pain and bloating. Mm. But I still had to eat, despite feeling terribly bloated. Um, and sometimes I'd even be sick because I was still having to eat. But I was actually just so bloated. Um, it's like force feeding, isn't it? I it, mean, it's it, absolutely it, horrific. It was. It was. Um, the weight gain and the bloating made it difficult to breathe, particularly when lying down. Um, I've just basically felt like I was slowly dying. Um, this went on for months. And I could I could see no way out. Um, I and no how way. how were you like mentally coping with this? Well, not well, not very well really. And there's only so much um, a partner of a cancer patient can take in terms of you know support because it's difficult for them as well. You know they're mm. they're scared and frightened. But it felt like a, a life not worth living. Um, the strain on my wife and my son felt unbearable. I spent a lot of time thinking about suicide. And really the only thing that stopped me was knowing how this would affect my wife and son. And I would just pay tribute to the benefit I gained from the counselling that I had um, you know, through NCUK, um, which really helped me through some very dark times. I would just stress that I've always been a fairly robust person. Mm. Um, you know, I've faced challenges in my life before, but I've always been able to manage them in a very positive way. But this form of cancer and the treatment I was having at the time reduced me to this in a matter of a few months. Um, my consultants at Dereford Hospital in Plymouth, who I've got huge respect for, and also at the Royal Free, who were also kind of giving a kind of a second opinion in my case, considered me a prime candidate for PRRT. And I'd learned from them and also from the patient support groups, as again, I'd access via NCUK, that PRRT would offer my best hope. However, um, in March 2021, I had a scan, a CT scan, which indicated a slight reduction in the size of my two largest tumours. Oh, right. I so you're... Mm. Yeah. I, I found that difficult to believe because my hypo symptoms were getting so much worse. 
Uh, but what it meant was, was that I was not eligible for PRRT due to the current NICE guidelines. Even the Royal Free could not persuade NHS England on my behalf. Um, I have to say, I felt very angry and badly let down by the NICE guidelines and NHS England at the time. Um, I'm not surprised. You're just thinking there's possible hope here and I'm feeling so, so, so bad. Yeah. Um, we know we've seen positive responses in, in you know, functional insulinoma metastatic patients. And yeah. oh, I can't imagine how that must have felt. Yeah. Not good. Um, so I was put on another form of chemo, uh, CAP-10. Mm -hmm. um, but within a week, uh, I became very ill and was admitted to hospital via A&E. It turned out I had pneumonia. And now I've never had um, problems with my, my breathing or my lungs before, but I had pneumonia and a very serious infection. I was at risk of sepsis. And at one point, an oncology registrar even warned me that I might not survive it. Um, Whilst I was in hospital for that, um, the turning points actually came on my, my birthday, um, 16th of June, uh, when another CT scan showed that my tumours has actually grown. And uh, my immediate reaction was, thank God for that. I mean, how bizarre is that, that you're like, relieved uh, that the tumours have grown? I mean, that's yeah. just not even a thing, is it? Yeah, I, so I can now have PRRT. So, yeah, you, you recognise the, uh, the grim... The grisly irony and all that, you know, there's got to be something wrong here. Totally, totally understand that. Yeah. So, so PRRT started in July. Um, I actually had it at Derriford Hospital in Plymouth, and I got nothing but praise for um, my consultants and the staff there. They were absolutely brilliant. Um, uh, and I know that PRRT does not work for everyone, and that some people can suffer from very unpleasant side effects from it. But for me, you know, after a long run of very bad luck, I really feel like I've got lucky. Um, it's been great. Um, yes, I had some fatigue after my first treatment, and I've had some mild discomfort in my liver. Um, but I began to notice some improvements in my blood sugar levels after my first treatment. And after the second and third, and now the fourth, um, it's just got better each time to the point where now, and for some time now, it has felt like my blood sugar levels are back to normal. Um, and also my tumour sizes have reduced quite considerably. I still monitor my levels and I always go equipped with what I need just in case anything goes yeah, wrong. Yeah. Um, so in short, it's worked wonders for me, PRRT. It feels like a miracle to be, lead, be able to lead a, a more normal life again. I feel profoundly grateful. Um, for that um so much so as you know i've recently um over the easter uh, weekend cycled 72 miles across devon to raise funds for nc uk and also awareness of neuroendocrine cancer and i did that only four weeks after my fourth and final prrt dose but you couldn't and, have imagined doing that last well, no. year and, and i mean it, my wife was looking back at the through the, her diary and it was a year almost a day that's uh, the consultants at the Royal Free had told me that PRRT would get me back on my bike. And I never believed that would ever happen. You know, I was going through a really, as you know, a really, really bad time then. Um, but it has. And as I sound profoundly grateful. Um, but I'm now facing the prospects that when my tumours grow back, 
as they will, and or my hypos return, as they probably will, I will not be eligible for any more PRRT that's funded by the NHS because of the NICE guidelines. So I hope you can also imagine how that feels. It feels wrong. Um, you know, I, I feel very grateful for the help I've had, but I also feel very passionate and determined to try to do something to improve access to PRRT or other forms of radioligand therapy mm. uh, for all suitable neuroendocrine patients, uh, and particularly to allow repeat PRRT in cases where that's justified. Um, I mean, I, I used to be a civil servant, as I said, uh, worked in commissioning in the Ministry of Justice. Uh, I mean, you know, I don't really fully understand the health world. I wouldn't pretend to do so. Um, what I do know is how important value for money, um, quality of life and equity is in terms of NHS commissioning, and rightly so. And I just hope that my case um, helps to demonstrate the importance of making some um, cost-effective, um, in my view, uh, changes to the current NICE guidelines to enable um, biochemical progression to be recognised as, as significant as radiological progression in disease progression. Um, Especially in functional disease like yourself, you know, it's, yeah. Um, yeah. It, it was such a key indicator of your decline. That's right. Um, and to be honest with you, apart from um, a period in around June when I was getting a lot of pain in my liver, um, when I was very ill with pneumonia, I've not really suffered pain. The problem has been the biochemical um, symptoms, the hypos, and the, debilita the debilitating effect of that. I think that uh, was enough, Pete. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I think that was enough in terms of you know what you've had to suffer and I'm really glad that you didn't get pain alongside that as well yeah well um, I had the pain the abdominal pain and the bloating and, and all that but uh, you know not not the and that was on that treatment right it was on the everolimus yeah yeah everolimus and diazoxide yeah um and the cap 10 which didn't really really work so yeah so what I'd, what I'd like to see um, changed is the NICE guidelines around biochemical progression as well as or, or either for PRRT to be considered in cases where there is either biochemical progression or radiological progression, but also to allow um, where clinicians consider it to be the best treatment option, cases where PRRT has worked, um, even when further PRRT seems to be the best treatment option, that that should be allowed and funded under the NHS. Mm. And given, given how rare these conditions are, given the numbers involved, we're not talking about opening the floodgates here, but not we are talking about improving value for money in terms of improving quality of life, not just for me, but for my wife, my family, you know, my granddaughter, my friends, you know, all those people who helped me on my fundraising. 
Um, we raised over £6,000. You know, it was a fantastic thing to do. And I just hope that it does help in some way to, um, to change things for the better. Thank you, P, and thanks for everything that you're doing and supporting the project that now we're going to jointly be trying to um, get out and launch later this year, which is our national access plan, um, where we're, you've explained exactly the sort of core of what that plan is going to try and look to do. Um, and I think, you know, utilising the funds that you've raised as well to support that particular project is going to be very important because it will feel so much more sort of valuable to you because you're you know rightly so very passionate about this and um and I think your story is one that that we really do need to um ensure people get to listen to um because it's a powerful story um but it's a difficult one (laughs) it it is and uh yeah it's uh but thank you for your support and um and I just hope whoever um listens to this um does sort of think about what they can do to bring about um, the kind of changes that are needed as soon as possible. No, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for for all that you're doing and and for sharing this um, very challenging time for you um, and for your family. And I'm just so lovely to see you looking so well. And, um, you know, we just need to make those changes. Thanks, Pete. Thank you. Enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to Not Just Any Cancer Series wherever you listen to your podcast, and please do leave a review.